Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight on Fast, the tech trade continues to unwind as another big move in the bond market sinks stocks. All three major averages falling more than 1%, led by a big sell-off in tech. The Nasdaq wiping out all of its gains for the year, the indexing its biggest three-day drop since early September. At the center of the selling today, Jay Powell, the Fed chair, saying they are going to stay on the sidelines even as rates spike. So what should you be doing right now? Our trader lineup is standing by to break it all down. Joining us tonight, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Dan Nathan. Guy, I'll go to you first. What's your take on today's action in the context of the tech sell-off going on for, for weeks now? Yeah, I think the market's come to the realization that, you know, maybe rising rates, although seemingly indicating an economy that's coming out of this and looking really very healthy, it's not necessarily a great thing for the stock market, specifically some of these high-flying tech names. And we've been talking about this now for quite some time, and it feels as though the market's starting to wake up to it. And there's probably some more room in some of these high valuation names that don't really have um, the earnings growth behind them to support it. And when Good news becomes bad news, and we talked about it in the form of NVIDIA, which, by the way, I thought would continue to go higher, in the form of Zoom, which, by the way, I thought would continue to go higher. When you start seeing that happen, it's indicative of maybe a a, a sea change in terms of the market. And I'd like to think this is the end, but I still think in terms of the NASDAQ, you probably have another 600, 600, 700 points to the downside before you find support. Good news becoming bad news also in the form of Vaccinations are up. Caseloads are down. Um, the economy looks like it's going to reopen with force, Tim. And the Fed chair says, you know what, we're going to let it go. We're going to let inflation run. And that's not what the market wanted to hear. I, I, I don't know. I mean, what, does, does the market, I, I agree with that because the market's reaction speaks for itself. But does the market want to hear a more aggressive Fed here and a Fed that's going to take their foot off the gas pedal? Absolutely not. And, and I guess I'm just going to say, I think this has been the noisiest uh, minus 4.3 percent pullback in the S&P of all time. Uh, you know, I, I think there's been so much noise around this. And, and would you rather and I'm not doing this, Mel, to be clear, I'm not <laughs> self would you rathering. But but, you know, a 160 10 year versus a 60 basis point 10 year. I mean, come on. Where would we rather be? And, and yes, everything that's been said, Guy, very appropriately pointing out that the, the frothiness of the market is something that uh, I think is is. You know, a very different story and maybe also a very good story. Um, weren't we just saying two, three weeks ago that that market was bubbleicious and that these were all uh, imbalances that we were having trouble digesting? Um, so, again, uh, mega cap tech, a lot of it was up today. Um, those are arguably value stocks, as Karen likes to say. Sorry to steal your thunder. But uh, again, let's I think we have to take a deep breath here. Um, I don't want the Fed to do anything. I don't want the Fed to react to markets. You don't don't want the Fed Fed to say, I don't want the long end of the yield curve. You you don't want them to say we don't want it this high or we are watching this very closely. You don't think that that would have calmed the markets a little bit? Look, do do you want to hear the Fed saying we're about ready to do Operation Twist? Um, We we went into this thing with a 160 to 180 tenure. If we're coming out of it with a 160 to 180 tenure, I'm fine. 
Carrington makes a good point in terms of, of that bifurcation, which you pointed out long ago, really, really emerging in today's session. We had what Facebook finished the day higher. We had Alphabet finish the day higher. We had Amazon outperform relative to its big cap tech peers. And there are a number of others also doing pretty well. What stood out to me, though, was Apple. Apple was in line. That was interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was a little bit of a disappointing day for Apple, I guess. But um, I mean, this I agree with Tim on what a noisy, noisy session it was. I, I can't imagine that Powell went into this trying to uh, I, I think with the market's reaction to what he said was kind of unrelated. I mean, just people kind of seem to flip out. He could say something the opposite of this. I, I think we don't want them to do anything we want to. They have said we're going to let inflation run. They've said that. So, and, you know, we talked earlier in the week about inflation running and then probably cooling down. So, I don't know. Today was a very, very giant rotation, which I thought was really interesting. This is one of the busiest trading days I've had in a long time. I'm not a big trader, but I did a lot of trading today because I think a lot of things have moved kind of too far. So, to me, the reopen trade, some of that, I think, is not some. Much of that is priced in. So something like a live nation. I love it. I'm sad to, to have to pair it, but I did. Same for Ulta. Actually, same also for Starbucks. I even, I even had to sell a little Google today, not because of any reason that I don't like Google, just it's gotten too big, given how it's performed relative to some of the other things. And then I bought some Target today, which at one point was down maybe six bucks. I bought some Lowe's also at one point was down six bucks. That seems ridiculous. And then one other thing, I did sell a little bit of Weight Watchers because it's run so far since we first talked about it. And then I bought a tiny bit of Palantir. So it was a very big, you know, sort of reapportioning the portfolio for me today. Wow, I feel like I'm talking to a Nigerian right now. (laughs) I know, I know. Giddy up, giddy up. Exactly. Uh, Dan, what's your take on what went on today? I think it was an airborne toxic event. I mean, when you look around here, I think Guy would probably agree with me. I mean, there's really, you know, there was nothing that Jay Powell said that should have freaked investors out. They've been talking about letting um, inflation run hot for what, since Jackson Hole, since the, since August. So um, to me, I think it was investors really looking for a, an opportunity to possibly take some profits. Look at what Karen just said. She was looking for an opportunity to lighten up on some things that have acted pretty well over a long period of time. Um, you know, if you're thinking about all of these reopening trades, we know the old mantra, um, you know, you buy the rumor, you sell the news. Uh, it, you know, everybody I know is getting a vaccine right now. There's no more frustration about the timing of it. So pretty soon we're going to be on the other side of the vaccination. And then it comes down to how do schools get reopened? How do the economy get reopened? How do we start getting comfortable about doing live events and traveling and all that sort of stuff? So it's not going to just be a straight line from here to there. That's why these stocks have been rallying. And I'll just tell you this, you know, the tech trade, and I think Karen is correct. I think the mega cap tech trade, they have been correcting over time since September 2nd. Amazon has not made a new high. Apple has only confirmed many, many new highs in the S&P 500 once. That was right before their earnings. So we have a situation where there are great expectation for earnings, and we see it time and time again. Just this week, you guys mentioned Zoom. You mentioned NVIDIA last week. Micron, the news comes out, they sell them. It's as good as it gets for right now. And then when you think about rates going the way that they have been going, listen, I would take issue with what Tim saying 60 bips versus 160 bips when you think about the deficits that we have and all the
the debt that is just awash on this planet, you know, going from 60 to 160, the cost of servicing that is tremendous. So I think the markets are starting to price in a little bit of what a global debt binge looks like with higher rates. We've seen this before. We remember December 2018, what that was like. The S&P 500 dropped 20% in a straight line. So to me, this is not curious action. The stock market is unchanged. There is no reason to freak out, but to think that the S&P 500 can't go back to 3550, uh, where it recently broke out from, then you got another thing coming. And that's just not that far away from here. And it's not even that deep of a correction. So I think everyone just be cool here a little bit. And the only reason you really freak out is if the rates did get out of control and they got above 2% in the 10 year. Well, well, maybe that's what the market's telling you. I don't know, Guy. I mean, I feel like you felt fall into that camp because well, it's interesting. Dan had pointed out, you know, made a very good point in terms of Jerome Powell saying we're going to let inflation run ever since August. But I think back in August, nobody thought we would be where we are today in terms of being on the precipice of an open economy. Nobody thought that every U.S. adult could be vaccinated by the end of May, which is what President Biden is promising at this point. Nobody thought that we would be reopening at this at this pace and yet here we are. And so maybe now, given all of that, and given that consensus now is that the economy is going to open up and be very strong in terms of growth, Guy, now the markets are freaking out because they see what, what that could mean, let inflation run a little bit hot. I love what you did there. I mean, the world changed and they didn't change the way. The Green Bay Packers in the 1960s had about six plays that they ran and they were able to be successful because they had better players and better coaches than everybody else and the league couldn't catch up to them. But now the league is caught up to the Federal Reserve and not changing the game plan like a lot of coaches do at halftime. They're giving you the same old mantra in a completely different environment over the last six or seven months. And I think the market wants to hear, hey, wait a second, maybe the world has changed. I really have no idea what they're rooting for. But, you know, their ability to control things or the outcome of things is the same as my ability to control the outcome of the Ranger game tonight by rooting for them. Uh, I don't have any control, and neither do they. <laughs> Our next guest thinks there is more pain to come in the tech trade. Let's bring in Dan Niles, founder of the tech-focused Centauri Fund. Dan, great to have you with us. Great to be on, Melissa. Are you worried about inflation, and is that influencing how you're running your portfolio right now? Yeah, I mean, if you go to danniles.com, uh, CNBC had me on on December 29th, and I said my number one picks for this year were related to inflation economy opening up running hot. And that was, you know, we had JP Morgan in there for rates going higher. We had the XLE in there, which is the energy ETF. And this is all on dannyles.com. And, you know, that's how it's kind of playing out. So that was our number one theme we based the portfolio on. And that's why we've had the best start to any year, actually, in our 17 years of running the fund is betting on that and then betting on the fact that tech would have a tough time as rates would go up. So that's why we only have one tech name in that portfolio for this year in terms of our top five picks that we had. Hey, Dan, uh, dannals.com. It's Tim. Thanks for joining us. And, and I guess my question for you is, is the simple one as a portfolio manager and one that spends a lot of time looking at bottom up. Um, what, what are you doing with a higher, you know, a, a 160 tenure differently than you were doing at 60 basis points? Not much, because I think it's going to get to 2% or higher before this is all said and done um, by late this year. Um, the one thing we did today is you know, we had a lot of tech shorts on and high multiple, no profit software stocks that had you know, had ridiculous valuations. We actually covered about 70% of shorts across our portfolio. Um, and, you know, I think there's some good names getting thrown out. 
um, with the bad ones. Um, and so for us, you know, we love days like this because it gives us a chance to, you know, cover some things and then potentially look for, for names that we like on the other side of it. But I think, you know, the reflation trade in, in terms of if you're looking at certain sectors like energy, like banks, they have a long way to run because you've had, um, you know, rates going lower arguably for 40 years, but at least for the since the global financial crisis, you know, you've had um, energy people cutting back on spending in that or the mining sector or the agricultural sector, which is why we don't believe much the Fed saying, you know, this is going to be a temporary increase in inflation. We don't believe that. We think it's going to be actually be pretty persistent and increase from here as the global economies open up. So for us, you know, when they start hitting some of these names, like in the mining space, et cetera, it makes us very interested in terms of adding to our exposure in, in sectors um, that have been given up for debt over the last um, you know, several years. Hey, Dan, it's DanNathan.com here. Um, yeah, listen, I got to know you back in the late 90s when you covered semiconductors and obviously some hardware. Um, these were hot sectors back then. They've been hot right now. Can you help us uh, you know, understand a little bit what's happened in semis? Just this week alone, I think that Micron is a great example of a company where people think that everything was going really well in the supply demand dynamics, the pricing of DRAM, all that stuff was great. It's a cheap stock. There was more room to run. They pre-announce a great number and the stock goes down 12% in a straight line over the last couple of days. How does that filter into a little bit of the psychology about tech right now in a space that should be doing very well given those dynamics? Well, I think there's a couple of things to remember. Semiconductor companies are notorious for having no clue as to what's going on because they're at the back of the supply chain. So if you think about it, you've got Apple, well, AT&T arguably, Verizon at the front of the supply chain for smartphones, Apple supplying into them. Obviously, they sell a lot directly themselves. Then they have that manufactured at Han High. And then you get around to Micron shipping to Han High, which ships to Apple, which ships to AT&T and Verizon. If you look at inventory in the supply chain, including vendor trade receivables, for example, at Apple, inventory is up a ton. If you look at TSMC's balance sheet and you look at the inventory on their balance sheet, it is up a tremendous amount year over year as well. So you've got actually inventory in the smartphone supply chain for one, um, building up. Now, in other sectors like automotive, PC, it's not that bad, but that's one space where it's actually built up tremendously. And so I think, you know, much like a few years ago when DRAM cycle was going to continue forever and, you know, was permanently going to be at a new high. And then all of a sudden prices started to crash. I think you have some risk of that in certain sectors. I'm not sure it's in DRAM or NAND, but I do think in the wireless supply chain where they play, there is a little bit of that. And the stock's not cheap, by the way. I mean, it's trading at, I think, one and a half times book, if I remember correctly. The stock's bottomed out in the past at 0.5. So, you know, yes, if you put huge EPS numbers out in the future, it looks great. But that's not one of the, you know, we have other names that we like a lot better in tech, like Google, like Facebook. If you want to be in stuff where you're getting growth at a great price that has a long runway ahead of it. And, you know, fortunately today they actually hung in very well, which was interesting, I think. And, you know, they'll benefit as ad rates pick up as we get really strong GDP growth. And so that's kind of where I'm looking. And today's a great acid test of where are people overly optimistic versus where are spaces that are priced, you know, in, at, at a good price. And I think um, th those are two names, for example, that I like much better than commodity semiconductors or semiconductors in general.
Dan, just quickly, was there anything that you bought in today's session and more specifically within technology since the Nasdaq is now down about 7% for the year? I really thought about buying some more Google. I didn't end up doing mm -hmm. it. Um, but what we did was, as I said, you know, a majority of our shorts are all sitting in technology. Mm -hmm. And we covered about 70% of our short book in, in the entire fund. Um, and so software, high multiple software stocks with, you know, no earnings, um, you know, that's where we went in and we covered a bunch because that was the sector we hated the most right. because that's what's going to get hit hardest when rates go up. But, you know, we're sitting on some cash right now in the fund. You know, I have a feeling over the next day or two, we'll start deploying it. I think you got $1.9 in stimulus coming. I'm sure those people who get those checks, a lot of that will find its way into the market. And I think we get maybe get one more surge higher, and then I think that's it. Hmm. And we've got a lot of pain in front of us after that when rates continue to head to 2% in Dan, the tenure. Thank you so much for your time. It's always great getting your perspective. Thank you, Melissa. Dan Niles. Okay, I think that was an interesting point at the end, too. Stimulus on the way. A lot of that stimulus or a portion of that stimulus could be deployed in the market, although it could be a little bit different this time in that it might be more targeted in terms of income. So, Tim, how do you, does that factor in at all to your more bullish view versus the other traders? Well, it's, it's certainly a, a backstop here. And thinking about what stimulus checks meant for actually direct flows into the market. But I, I, I think about it also as it relates to how that money was being spent in the economy and some of the consumer stocks. And, you know, for example, uh, we've talked about this. You know, Walmart's pulled back as it's been a reopening. I thought this was, yeah, there was a COVID dynamic. But if anything, it's a reopening trade as well. Uh, I, I think there are the, the, the things that I would be looking to uh, invest in around stimulus or, or, you know, those stories where I think the consumer uh, best buy, you know, a place where I think those stimulus checks are going to go. Apple is where those stimulus checks are going to go. So um, but overall for the market, yes. And cash levels in the market right now, uh, you know, are, are at reasonable levels to feel that there's a decent backstop here. Again, I don't think we're that far over our skis in terms of equity allocation. Um, I think we've talked about companies and Dan talked about the companies that he went short uh, that are companies that just don't make money in the multiples. Yeah. And I think that's where the market's actually had a pretty rational thought process over the last month. Karen, just quickly, did you cover any of your IGV, mm -hmm. the software ETF shorts? I I did not, but I definitely looked at it. It's a, it, it is it was down. I mean, it's down a lot. It it was down three percent today. One point is down four percent. It's time to start covering. All right, I will probably do that tomorrow. Coming up, we've got an earnings alert on Costco. Shares are falling in the after hours as the company's call gets underway. We'll bring you the trade. And later, a tidal wave for Square. Jay-Z and Jack Dorsey teaming up in a big way. The $297 million deal that could shake up the entire music industry. we got the details when Fast Money returns. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create. Like Olu Shehi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. 
Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Costco. Shares moving lower in the after hours. Let's get to Courtney Reagan, who's got the details. Courtney. Hi there, Melissa. So Costco put up a mixed quarter with a big miss on earnings, but a beat on revenue. Comparable sales were strong. That streak continues up 13 percent. Digital sales up 76 percent. For just the month of February, comps grew even better, 14 percent. Online sales up 91 percent. Shares, as you mentioned, are down more than one percent after hours, about flat if you look over the last year. On the ongoing conference call right now, CFO Richard Galanti said traffic was up year over year. Transaction growth, though, much higher. Gross margin did fall. Fresh food sales were strong. Liquor, too, along with sporting goods, furniture, small appliances, and actually a number of other categories. The Warehouse Club is increasing wages in the U.S. and Canada permanently after a year of extra COVID-related wages to $16 an hour and $16.50, respectively. Galanti says Costco is experiencing delays with port congestions, as some other retailers have mentioned. He said it's hitting furniture, sporting goods, imported cheeses, for example, too. Galanti noted shortages of chips also impacting his ability to get TVs, computers, smart home appliances, exercise items, and more. Melissa, back over to you. All right. Courtney, thank you. Courtney Reagan. Um, Guy, what do you make of this quarter? And I thought that the, the impact of the chip shortage was really interesting because presumably those are higher margin products. It's interesting. I mean, and just talking about the chip shortage quickly, when everybody started talking about that, that seemed to mark a top for, ironically enough, the entire chip sector, which I find interesting. But the Costco quarter, just to drill down a little bit, I mean, the EPS, let's just give them a sort of a... a, a um, a buy, we'll give them a mulligan here, as they say in golf, in terms of the costs associated with it. But I think what the market's concerned about are those costs going forward. You have to figure out where to get back into stock. I think right now it's down 19% from that prior all-time high. Maybe down 25% makes sense. That gets you around 295 or so, and that sort of lines up with lows that we saw uh, earlier last year. So I, I think you're more inclined to figure out where you're buying it now than where you're selling Costco. Yeah, Karen, your thoughts? So I, of course, look to the ones that I own, which is Walmart and Target. When I think about Costco, it trades at a giant premium, as it should. It absolutely deserves it, and it's incredibly well run. I think those costs to me sound temporary, which I think would bode well for them for the rest of the year in terms of margin improvement. But it makes me look at the premium differential, between, or the uh, PE differential between 30-ish, let's say it uh, uh, comes in a little bit on Costco from 31 to 30 and Walmart at 23 and Target at 19. I know they're not exact comps, but that differential seems overly wide to me, which, uh, and for, you know, why am I Target today? Walmart yesterday. So Walmart and Target should go higher as opposed to just Costco going lower? I think so. Okay. We got a lot more I ahead. Think, yeah. Yes. Okay. We got a lot more ahead here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. It's hip to be square. The payment pioneer signing a music mogul to its board and getting in on the streaming business. But why? And what could crypto have to do with it? Plus, we may have spotted the latest name to get caught up in the Reddit frenzy. We'll tell you what it is when Fast Money returns. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. 
Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. He's got 99 problems with Square, ain't one. Jay-Z teaming up with Jack Dorsey in a $297 million deal that could shake up the music industry. Let's get to Kate Rooney with all the details. Hey, Kate. Hey, Melissa. Square is buying a majority stake in Jay-Z's music service title. The cash and stock deal gives Jay-Z a seat on Square's board. So why are they doing this? Music streaming and payments. In some tweets this morning, Jack Dorsey described it as a way to get musicians better economics, comparing it to Square's mission with small businesses. Otherwise, the details were pretty sparse. One analyst tells me that they always count on Dorsey to be a bit unpredictable. Others say that this is another boost for the cool factor of Cash App. Square already launched a clothing line in the same vein, and dozens of hip-hop artists have written Cash App into their lyrics. Anything that drives engagement is really seen as a good thing for Square. For example, customers who buy and sell cryptocurrencies tend to bring in more revenue. That could be the same case with music streaming. It could also play into Dorsey's big vision for crypto. The music industry is increasingly using what are known as NFTs or non-fungible tokens. Kings of Leon this morning were the latest to use these digital currencies to sell their albums. But while Square is known as being great at building things internally, like Cash App, it has a less stellar reputation for M&A. The big example is Caviar, which after a lackluster couple of years, Square sold to DoorDash. Melissa, back to you. All right, Kate, thanks so much. Kate Rooney with that. Um, I feel like this acquisition was very little, Karen, and you buy the celebrity factor and you also buy a very inexpensive way of maybe trying to go into this emerging area of NFTs. Right. Well, aside from the bromance factor, yeah, there is that. It also, the terms were not disclosed except that it was cash and stock and what the overall price was, and that I believe Jay-Z and others are holding their stock. So to the extent this stock trade's really rich, Square, which it does, you know, maybe they didn't pay that much for it. It's, it's interesting, though. I think the cool factor is relevant um, somewhat. I also wouldn't be surprised if Jay-Z ups his tweeting a lot. That would be helpful to Jack as well. Um, I mean, I get it. It's a small acquisition for them, given their giant market cap. But uh, I don't know. I found it interesting. I wouldn't be bummed out if I was a square holder, I don't think. Um, You actually sent over, and I I don't follow Jay-Z's Twitter feed. I probably should. Um, Jack Dorsey's loosely. But there was a photo of them sitting together by a fire sharing some red wine. So it was very apparent that they actually have a very good relationship, and so maybe this was a long time coming, as they say. Um, Let's get to our next guest. He says title was an excellent fit for Square. Let's bring in Dan Dolev. He covers Square at Mizuho. He currently has a buy rating on the stock with a $380 price target. Dan, great to have you with us. Hey, thank you, Melissa. It was a pleasure. Um, I want to talk to N- about NFTs and, and that possibility in just a moment. But in terms of just sort of the overlap between music and Square and Cash App, is there, do you think, do you think that people who buy music may also uh, be more frequent traders or, or buyers of Bitcoin or, or, you know, will there be activity on the platform in other ways? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, this is, a, in my view, a fantastic acquisition. And the reason for that is it once it takes Square one step closer to sort of that dream or whoever's revenue per user, which could be anywhere from five to four to five hundred dollars. Right. And 
the reason it does it is because this is a primary booster of engagement, right? People, people listen to music. I mean, we've seen some statistics that people listen to music over 30 hours a week. So by listening to the music, you're opening the app. And when you're opening the app, you're engaging with the app. So you can do other things, trade Bitcoin, um, you know, let, you know, loan money, et cetera, et cetera. So that's what it does, right? I think people that, that just say, oh, it's a music stream service, they don't really get it. It's all about boosting engagement and making this sort of one part of a big cohesive ecosystem. So, but, but basically, we don't know if these people are going to actually engage in the app. They engage in the app and that they open the app in order to listen possibly to the music service. But we don't actually know if that necessarily means that they engage with the, in the app in other ways for other additional revenue streams. Correct. We don't know that. But okay. right, it's almost statistically speaking, right, when you're there and you're listening to it and they offer you, you know, to, to buy Bitcoin or to buy stocks, right, you're more likely to do it. Just by being there, right, like 50% is just being there and getting you to open the app. Once you open the app, you do other things, right? So it's another thing. It's another tool, basically a free call option because it's less than half a percent of Square's cap. So even if it doesn't work, it wasn't a big mistake. But I think it's a free call option on this could be being like a massive use case for, you know, Square's or Cash App's 36 million uh, active accounts right Okay, so let's talk about NFTs now. You know, in what time frame do you think Square will actually be in this business? You know, Square is very daring. I think in no time, I can tell you yesterday, we hosted Kathy Wood for a discussion in payments 2030 here at Mizuho. And, and basically the, the one big takeaway is that she thinks, and, and I agree with her, that Square is very daring. So I think that, you know, this could take, you know, not years, but months for Square to basically start offering, you know, more crypto around around music, around this, because this is, you know, Jack is a big crypto proponent. So I think this is going to be front and center for Square. I don't know if that was the reason they bought it, but that's a huge positive externality that comes out. Of it. Tim, do you have a question? Hey, Dan, it's Tim. Sorry. So the question yeah. around NFTs is how pervasive do you think this will be in, if we know that they've certainly been originated in the genesis in the art world or so it seems, um, but for the music industry, uh, empowering, entitling artists, um, also the, the mechanism for commerce in, in digital is something that we've all been waiting for. Um, just thoughts on that. Game changer? I think it's a game changer, right? I think that the music industry is at a, basically an all-time low. This is not a U.S. phenomenon. It's a global phenomenon. phenomenon. Square is buying them just when you know we're exiting COVID and things are going to have to change. And NFT is one way to change things and helping artists monetize and secure their IP. And I think that's one of the reasons or one of the sort of social empowerment that Jack is talking about that comes to it. So I think it, I, I, I totally think it's a game changer. And I think that as always, you know, Jack and Square are five to 10 years ahead of everybody else. And that's why we have a $380 price target. Dan, great to speak with you. Thank you. With a pleasure. Dan Dolov of Mizuho. Uh, Dan Nathan, I'm curious to get your take on this whole thing, whether or not this is actually a play on NFTs and, and if this is a good or a bad thing. I mean, it's interesting because Dan said, you know, people spend 30 hours a week streaming music. And so if they open the app, chances are they'll do other things. Then they could have bought a host of other things that people do for many hours a week and said, you know, chances are engagement will go up if they tacked on, I don't know, some other website. <laughs> 
Well, listen, I think this kind of threads together a lot of things that Jack is uh, passionate about. When you think about his introduction of Bitcoin into the Square ecosystem, I mean, it really is about empowerment, at least that that's what he thinks. And so he's looking at an industry that he obviously likes. He's very into art. Music is art. And he thinks that um, by doing this with NFTs, because they already have the crypto there and they have the demographic that is going to this financial digital world, it seems like a logical extension. Um, I'm all for it. You know, Karen said a hundred billion dollar market cap they have three and a half billion dollars in net cash you bring a guy like jay-z into the mix it's brilliant and i'll just say this as a big music fan um an nft i'd buy one uh, you know uh, one of my favorite bands um buy a deluxe album and tickets to their show for life and maybe some other cool things associated with it so i think it's like the first inning of the first pitch for this sort of stuff and i don't know if it has to be crypto um could you do this through live nation or Ticketmaster or some um, independent organization probably does it need to be on a blockchain not so sure or a smart contract um but i think there's going to be changes in the music industry and innovative people like jack are probably going to figure it out all right coming up more on the turmoil in tech land the nasdaq continuing to spiral lower but the chart master says there could be a big buying opportunity out there carter worth will join us straight ahead plus options traders are hitting the outlets we will break down the wild move we saw today in tanger all that and more when fast money returns Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks getting crushed again today as bond yields spike. The Dow dropping nearly 350 points. The Nasdaq leading the sell-off, falling more than 2%. It's now negative for the year. The chart master says there could be more pain ahead. Let's get to Cornerstone Macros. Carter Worth. Carter, what do you see? Well, a lot going on. I think maybe the, and we'll end with this after we look at some charts. The most important, I think, fact today is the top five stocks as a basket, the names we know, Apple, Microsoft, Google, Facebook, Amazon, they were down 0.17% as an equal weight basket, meaning they did what they are supposed to do. They held up very, very well, especially in a tech route. A few charts. The first, um, reversal formations. People like to name them. Uh, one popular thing, head and shoulders, cups and handle, doesn't matter what you call it. It's how something uh, tends to, in an uptrend or downtrend, start to reverse. And you can see how well annotated that is here. In fact, the word shoulder, head, shoulder, it looks like that image. Now, the second chart is where things go if and as they play out. So the neckline, just uh, again sticking with uh, those visuals, is the intermediate lows from which a breakdown occurs. Now, those two charts we've just seen are as of yesterday's close. Here's the third chart. This now incorporates today's action. We broke very hard uh, precisely at the neckline. And the question is, how far do you go down? There are some tricks of the trade, something known as a measured move, which is considerably lower. But if you look at the next chart, this is important. The trend line, in effect, for the NASDAQ composite, a very precise trend line, was broken today. So you have the head and shoulders formation and the trend line, and one of the biggest down days of many, many weeks, and it's right at a juncture where pattern work uh, might predict it. Two more. This is a two panel. Now, this is the NASDAQ 100 on the top and its relative performance to the entire NASDAQ. And what we have here is a circumstance where these stocks have underperformed, and we know that because they've been flat to slumpish, Amazon and Apple and Facebook and so forth, Google, as lower quality 
names in the NASDAQ have continued higher. But every instance, going back for some 20 years, when you've had a dip in the relative line to this trend, they start to actually come to life relative. And we saw it today, down only 0.17% for the top five. So put it all together, let's end with one stock. Relative strength is a very important thing. Google was down for about seven minutes today. Imagine that, in the morning, and basically was green for the rest of the session. So there's free will. People can sell everything. They have margin calls. They choose what to sell. They choose what not to sell. No one was selling Google. That alone is a hugely bullish thing. Carter, can we back it up for just a second to the, the chart of the NASDAQ when you said the break could be considerably lower? What did you mean by that? Well, so a measured move essentially is the width of the range, this is esoteric, from the head to the shoulder. And if you were to have a move that's commensurate to the move from the head to the neckline, you're talking about another 4 to 5%, which would then represent a definitive break of the trend line, which we just started to break today. All right. Carter, thank you. Carter Braxton Worth of Cornerstone Macro. Guy Adami, I go to you. Which chart do you like? Why are you laughing? Well, as you know, Carter sits atop the Parthenon of things, along with Louise Yamada. I just dig Carter Worth, right? I mean, it's just fantastic. I think Google, I think he's so, totally right. I, you know, Google's, Karen mentioned at the top of the show, um, that's the cheapest one of the FANG or the MAGA complex that Dan's talked about. And I think that the, that's the one that's going to provide you with the most safety when the market goes down and the, much, and the most upside if it, it continues to grind higher. I think you have to have your eyes firmly on yields in the form of the 10-year. But if yields do stall here and go back down, you're going to have regrets if you didn't buy Google. And I know there's some Jay-Z fans out there that are smiling right now. Oh, I thought you were going to say Jay-Z is a fan, and he's smiling right now because he's watching well, the no, show. No, that goes without saying. I know <laughs> he's a fan. The only reason I knew his song Regrets is because he DM'd me and said, you've got to get regrets in, G-Swizzle. I'm sure he did. Uh, Dan, what do, you, what do you make of this call on... Stick with the 100, NASDAQ 100, but the NASDAQ more broadly could see another drawdown. I agree with it 100%. And let's just talk about Apple. It's down 17% from its recent all-time highs. I think there's some support not too much further than here. There's been a couple drawdowns. That September drawdown, 25%. That first quarter 2020 drawdown in Apple was about 35%. So maybe you get something um, you know, closer to the 25% or so. So that's where I would kind of start picking at Apple a little bit. Microsoft, you know, it's actually acted pretty well. I think you probably have some great support um, at 210. Now, valuation-wise, it probably doesn't look um, like uh, Facebook or Google does, and I know those were Dan Niles' picks, but I think Apple and Microsoft are the mega-cap tech names you want to buy if this thing gets a little nastier over the next couple weeks. All right, coming up, check out this crazy move in shares of Tanger. Is this stock under attack from the Reddit rebellion? We'll dive into the options pits for a closer look. And later, we've got much more on today's market sell-off and how to set up for tomorrow. Stick around. More Fast Money after this quick break. Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is all over today's market sell-off, and he's speaking exclusively with the CEO of FireEye. Catch that full interview, top of the hour, on Mad Money. Check out the wild ride for Tanger Outlet. Shares are up more than 20% this morning before giving back those gains. And this stock has been on a roller coaster ride over the past week. Let's bring in Mike Coe, who spotted some bullish bets on Tanger in the options market. Mike, what'd you see? 
Yeah, so it's interesting, you know, the more Wall Street seems to dislike a stock, the more a lot of Reddit-type traders, we can say, seem to like it. This is a stock with a high short interest. This thing traded about six times its average daily options volume today, and most of that activity was concentrated in the March 20 and 30 strike calls. Now, often people are targeting the weekly options. This stock doesn't have any, though, so these are the nearest dated options they could buy. Those 20 strike calls were trading for about $2.50, the 30 strike calls for about a dollar. So obviously, p- people who are buying those calls are betting that the kind of move that we saw to the upside today could happen at some point within the next two weeks. These are going to expire a week from uh, two weeks from tomorrow. Yeah. Karen, this would seem like it's also a reopening trade, so it could be benefiting from that. Most definitely a reopening trade. Um, I think, you know, the stock bottomed out at maybe five or so. I was just looking at the debt quickly. The debt seems to trade decently. Um, I'm just, you know, the industry started to have somewhat of an existential crisis in 2016 or so when uh, retail online shopping actually grew a lot. And so you could sort of see the writing on the wall. And that I don't think has changed. And I think the pandemic has just exacerbated it. I think we'll get a couple quarters of a huge open Tim loves to go to Tanger. They have Rag and Bone. They have two Rag and Bones. He they told got us a on the call today. And a Vince. Clearly, James he's Person doing his Vince. work. Uh-huh. Vince. Yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> so I just I, and I so I wouldn't short it, but I do think there's a secular issue here, and I would never, never, never get in in the way of uh, Wall Street bets, the Reddit crowd. I don't want to be on the other side. Yeah, short interest, by the way, is about 33% right now, according to facts. Mike, thank you. Mike Co. see you tomorrow on Options Action. That's 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, much more in today's market sell-off, how our traders are preparing for tomorrow's trading day. We'll break it all down for you when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money Markets and Sell-Off Mode today. So how are our traders setting up for tomorrow? Let's go around the horn. Guy, what do you be watching? you got to watch. I mean, I'm a broken record now, although the great records of Cassius Cuvée, who I know is watching the show right now, he should actually write a rap song about what's transpired over the last 48 hours. But the bond market is your cue, 1.5% in the 10-year. The dollar has found its footing. I'm wondering how long that stays above the 90 level in the DXY, and obviously the VIX is still a tell. If you have a down day tomorrow and the VIX is benign to slightly lower, that should mark a short-term bottom, Mel. Yeah, so far the, the yields, by the way, 10-year yield, is holding up pretty well, 1.56 one right now. Tim? Guys, smart to point out the dollar. Remember, this, this dollar, which everyone thought was, was moving lower and lower, has now rallied almost 2.5%, and that's been painful, and I think that's part of that risk off mode. I think you have to look at copper, too. Uh, you know, think about the move we had higher in copper, Dr. Copper, for a reason that tends to be a, a barometer for the broader economy. It, you know, it's not the most efficient uh, benchmark to trade, but I, I think it's worth noting. And obviously, look, it, it's about the bond market right now. Yeah. Karen, you're pretty active in today's session. So what do you think for tomorrow? What's mm-hmm. on your to-do list? <laughs> On my to-do list, cover some IGV. I mean, it's, you know, it's an index, so it doesn't move that much, but it's down 50 points, which is a lot. So if, you know, why why would I short it if I wouldn't cover any down 50? If that wasn't enough, that I should have shorted more. If I thought it would be down a lot more than that. So I got to start covering some of that, even though I think some of these valuations are still rich. I know I'll never pick the bottom, but just portfolio management-wise, time to cover some. Yeah. Dan? All right, this might surprise you, Mel, but this is a bit contrarian, okay? If you were to overlay the XLF move 
over the last month, you see it went from like 29 to 34. You look at the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield, went from 1% to 1.54, where it is right now. They basically tracked it, um, not percentage-wise, but if you just look at the charts. I think you probably see a consolidation in yields here, maybe a bit of a bull pack, a pullback. That 155 range is massive long-term technical resistance. So to me, I think the banks are probably getting a little expensive here. The euphoria around them in the reopening trade and the yield trade seems a bit consensus now. So I want to take the other side of that um, in the XLF and also the XLE. I think that move is just round tripping the one-year move here. I think it's probably ready for at least a consolidation, maybe a short-term pullback. Guy, you know, um, tomorrow's a jobs report as well. We should mention that for sure. Um, And today was Jerome Powell's last appearance out before the next FOMC meeting, which happens later uh, this month. You know, if the markets continue to sell off, Guy, will the Fed be forced to do something or say something a little different? Well, you can't you can't you can't knock the hustle of Jerome Powell. But I got to tell you, they should just remain quiet for a while. They've done enough talking. I mean, you know, there's an old saying, when you're digging a hole for yourself, drop the shovel. Well, maybe um, Jerome and the fellow Fed, uh, Fed officials should drop the shovel and just sort of hide for a while, let the market cool down. I do think the jobs report is important. I think yields are far more important right now, Mel. Yep. All right. Up next, we got your final trade. Stay tuned. For the final trade, let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour. That's a 17% pullback in Walmart. We talked about valuation on this one, and I think there's very good support of the stock at 120, 124-ish Walmart. Dan Nathan. Yeah, XLE Energy Select ETF. I'm looking for a 10% move uh, pullback over the next couple of weeks in that one. Karen Feinerman. Yeah, so I thought Playbook was like, what's your final trade? So IGV, similar as the last block. I'll cover some tomorrow. <laughs> Guy Adami. <laughs> yeah, I just want to, again, shout out to Jay-Z. Great talk in the offline. We'll chat again soon. Come on, <laughs> Fast Money. And uh, Chicago Mercantile Exchange, higher on a bad tape. Don't mislead America, Guy, please. Thanks for watching Fast and Bad Money <laughs> with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.